Hello and welcome to Integrate, Faith, and Innovate. I am Hannah Stoles and I'm here with my co-host, F.T. Chong. I'm the director of the Wheaton Center for Faith and Innovation and associate professor of supply chain management. Um, FT here is head of private capital at Pinebridge Investments, and this is the podcast for conversations about the integration of faith and innovation with practical tips for faithful decision-making in everyday business. Um, welcome to episode season two, episode six. In this episode, I'm so excited to have a conversation about my book with FT today and um, really kind of just talk through what is wisdom-based business all about and how does it help us to integrate our faith with the business God's called us to. So FT, I'll, I'll turn it over to you to get us going. <laughs> in this so today you're on the hot seat, Hannah, and uh, <laughs> uh, happy to have you as uh, our guest today. <laughs> um, so I always have to add, I am a Wheaton parent and uh, I have a son who's a junior and uh, very happy to, to say, actually, he won the, um, the uh, Billy Graham Evangelism Prize. Uh, wow. So I, I, it's, uh, he is a endless evangelist, so I uh, feel very happy about it. Um, <clears throat> Anna, uh, welcome to your, you and my show. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's good to be here. It's good to be here. What we want to talk about wisdom-based business, and you are following two of our most recent guests. Each had books that um, sold more than a million copies, so you're on the right track. Uh, and um, so, so this it'll be interesting to see how many copies we sell of this. Uh, very impressed uh, by what you wrote. Um, uh, Hannah has a background, as you know, both in business, in the supply chain industry, and also in academia, uh, uh, where she is still teaching supply chain uh, related uh, topics, but uh, has managed to bring in faith into the business uh, world. Uh, and, and the aim of this podcast actually is to see how we integrate our faith into the Christian world. I would say this fits really well. Uh, you have in your book brought, I was, I was uh, saying, you're taking back ownership of a lot mm -hmm. of concepts and ideas that the business world have adopted, but came from the Bible, came from the Christian okay. world, um, and have gone mainstream. So uh, your book, I would say, uh, is taking back for Christ his ideas and values uh, and in a very comprehensive way. It's really impressive. So let's start with this. Why did you write the book? Yeah, actually, um, actually it's so close to what you just said. Uh, you know, I started out really um, kind of in that growing up in this space where if you were called by God, like if you had the calling of God on your life, it definitely meant you were going into like full-time pastoral or missionary ministry. and. Um, you know, I'm an all in person, you know me, I'm pretty type A, pretty driven. And I was like, well, I want to serve God and I want to be called by God and I want to serve God with my life, but I definitely don't want to work for the church. <laughs> so what do I do as a Christian? And um, 
so I had a lot of years that I really wrestled with that. What does it look like? And, you know, part of getting my PhD was kind of finding that balance between marketplace, you know, kind of consulting and applied research space, also feeling like I could serve in the classroom because, you know, at least teaching is a higher calling than, you know, just being in the marketplace, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't believe that now. But um, as I got into it, I started out early years really working with a lot of Fortune 500 companies at the University of Tennessee in the supply chain space. And just like you said, they were sitting, we were sitting around the table, we were doing best practices for the Department of Defense. That was the big project we were working on around lean, green, and global supply chain strategies. And as they're talking about their best practices, all of these strategies that they're putting into place resonated with me as being biblical. I was like, wow, you know, the lean um, strategy of really honoring people. God really wants people to be honored. You know, the green strategies of, um, you know, taking care of the garden and um, taking care of the world that God's given us. That seems really biblical to me. And the challenge for me is that I wasn't hearing it taught in the church. I didn't see many, you know, Christian business classes and, and spaces teaching these things in terms of how do we steward people? How do we steward our resources, both natural and financial? And so a lot of my motivation in writing this was just both, I felt there was a gap in terms of what had been done, but also my students needed it. They needed spaces where they could, you know, have a framework to work off of. And, you know, young kids, you, you have a son at Wheaton. Um, they need frameworks and models and they need their ideas to be kind of laid out really succinctly for them. So this really motivated me um, just to say, gosh, there's so many things that work really well in business and they're so Christian. I hope Christians are doing this. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think the, uh, and we'll get into this, I think the way you've written the book and chosen, you know, the topics you've chosen uh, covers the waterfront. It's everything. And mm -hmm. would be a, this would be a good faith and work kind of beginning, kind of the foundational textbook almost. So uh, congratulations. Let's get into it a little bit. Okay. okay. Um, first of all, uh, I'm going to start beginning to end. I'll page through my notes as I read. Wisdom is personified as a noble woman. Mm -hmm. Right. So you do. Uh, I think the book is kind of the structure of the book is built around the base, the basic structure around Proverbs 31 and yeah. you kind of build everything around it. And uh, I think there's always a temptation to shoehorn business ideas into Christian faith. I think it's the opposite in your case, in the Christian faith already had all the, the ideas that had been uh, purloined, a portion taken by the business world, and you're putting it back into that context. So, um, so, I, so women versus men. <laughs> Um, I congratulate you for that because I think uh, as a as a as a man in business, I tend to think more in terms of shepherd, right? Uh, yeah. The shepherd role, as opposed to the servant role. Um, do do the ideas apply? And and you you pointed out in in Proverbs, it's wisdom is she. Right. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about that in terms of she, he, man. How how do I relate as a man to this whole thing? Yeah, this is this was really fascinating to me because it's one of the reasons I think Proverbs 31 is so underutilized. 
even though it's so clearly in the marketplace, you know, um, even even the argument that it's household work doesn't work because she's sourcing flax outside she's of her own garden. Her. Like, yeah. Yeah. She's selling these products in the marketplace. And so I think that's like a really interesting starting place. And for a long time, I really thought it was more allegorical. Like, you know, the husband is like Christ and this wife is like the church, right? The bride of Christ. And this is how we can operate as a church. And um, I did it, you know, the master's of Bible program at Wheaton College because I'm a, you know, a learner and an overachiever. <laughs> and in that program, what I began to realize about the context of Proverbs and the context of wisdom literature is that wisdom literature, first of all, was was predominant in the ancient Near East, as predominant as the philosophy that came out of the Greek, um, you know, Greek culture, which we pretty much start philosophy with the Greeks and philosophy is the love of wisdom. Right. The philosophie. And um, really, the Greeks, you know, they they worshipped this goddess Sophia, the goddess of wisdom in Ephesus. I think that's one of the Paul probably talked about that God, maybe in when he wrote to the Ephesians. And um, what's really interesting, if you go back to Solomon's day in the ancient Israel, um, wisdom was worshipped in Egypt, in Assyria and in Babylon. And all of these different countries had these court literatures that were just like, well, really similar to Proverbs, you know, in the same kind of writing about skills and economy and worship. And the Syria is probably the best example of a female goddess, you know, just to the north of Israel. And this this goddess in Assyria, um, she actually hold held two tools in her hands, which is so funny because, of course, in, you know, Proverbs 31, she's got the distaff and the spindle. And this goddess in Assyria um, was actually the goddess of war the goddess of fertility and the goddess of econ economy, right? Because when you go to war, that's when you get all the loot and that's how you build out your, your resources. And so I think it's really interesting when you think about a lady wisdom who shows up in Proverbs 1 through 9. I think Solomon, he had wives from all over. He was probably reading court literature that came with him. And he had probably been introduced to these concepts of wisdom being a woman. And he was surrounded by women and he had a lot of wives scripture says. And I think that there's a really good chance that when this, when Proverbs was conscripted by Solomon to be written, you know, by his scribes, um, that there was a way of viewing wisdom in ancient times that we don't view wisdom this way anymore in our more masculine dominant business marketplace environment. And back then wisdom would have been seen as, you know, fertility is all about multiplication. War is all about conquering. And the text in Proverbs 31 is really competitive. So I think that we like sometimes because we view the world through our very like kind of Western business lenses, sometimes the power of scripture gets lost if we don't look at it in its ancient context. Um, so in the men and women, like this was a tricky thing. It's why it's called wisdom based business and not Proverbs 31 based business. Because I think I would lose a lot of audience just on the title. <laughs> but actually, I would say for me anyway, reading the book, <clears throat> uh, yeah, I had always tended to like, ah, that's the wife's role. Yeah. But and you open it up for me that uh, and I, I would encourage any male reading this is hey uh, wisdom is something that we should not dismiss in the context of Proverbs 31 it's not just talking about a, a wife who's working and husband who's pontificating at the gates we should remove that barrier that was not really the intended biblical barrier I think um, on that too, I think it'd be exciting, even if it was just for women, you know, we look at the fortune 500 today, even in the secular spaces, right? It's what um, less than 5% of the fortune 500 are female CEOs. 
I think even if we embrace this passage just for the church to live out only for women, it would definitely explode the amount of female leaders in business, even yeah. if you're looking for it at the literal sense. <laughs> now, you did say, you did quote, uh, I'm trying to look for it here, the, uh, the container store, the founder of the container store said that he liked uh, female leadership for, I'm trying to find the words that he used there, but basically he felt they made better leaders because they were uh, more compassionate to listen or to be willing to be, you know, some, some level of humility. Um, I disagree with him there in that I feel like men should be that way as well. It's not a characteristic of women. Um, uh, but yeah, there's a, uh, in a sense, if you personify wisdom as a woman, it, it does capture the sense of willingness to be more compassionate and willingness to listen and all of that, which is also Christ-like more than woman-like. Right? Really, so. that's it's really true. Yeah. God's not calling us all to be like a lady in business. He's calling us to be like wisdom. Yeah. So one point uh, that I think if, if anything people can get out of this is the the uh, pay attention to the woman side of Proverbs 31, not as for the other side, but for, for me as well. So yeah. um, then you go, so we'll talk about servant leadership and servant leadership leading to different orientations, leading to then promoting the kingdom of God. Um, you use the word orientations, uh, mm -hmm. I think five orientations. So, is it five? Um, it is five, yes. <laughs> what, what do you mean by orientation? So so uh, let me just try to see. You can test me on how well I read your book. Mm -hmm. uh, we start with servant leadership, which is really a biblical concept that's now in the business world. And then uh, and that with servant leadership as the base, you go into the five orientations uh, which leads to outcomes and then all of that. Uh, what do you mean by our So I, I you know, I, um, it's a word. You use that word. It has a meaning. Uh, it's not a word I'm used to. Mm -hmm. This is a, actually, it's a really academic term. Um, in terms of academic theory, we use it a lot. And I would say the way we use it in research and in theory is pretty much synonymous that word. Synonymous. Synonymous. <laughs> Thank you. I can't talk. Um, it, it means the same thing as the philosophy of the firm or the overarching strategy. Uh -huh. so we, we actually measure, you know, and I, I talk about, you know, throughout the last hundred years, business research has measured lots of different orientations, starting with like the production orientation, which was kind of the industrial revolution, right? It was all focused on production. And then we've moved into all these different orientations or these different philosophies that have really guided how firms compete. And I think we are in an age that, you know, Michael Porter, you know, uh, said was coming and that was where value chains were going to compete. So we see we're in an era of really a stakeholder orientation and a supply chain orientation where, you know, communities of people, whether it's across their um, value chain or across, you know, the ecosystem that the company operates in, that those ecosystems are now competing against each other. So the orientation term basically means the, the guiding strategy or the guiding philosophy of the firm that sets the culture, the norms, the practices, and the beliefs of the leadership 
that are going to be trickling down into the functional strategies and the day-to-day -day tactics. So orientation is kind of what is the philosophy or the strategy? And then what is the, you know, the, the lower level strategy that's like, how are you going to get there? Um, and I love that it shows up so much in, in literature, in the wisdom literature. I mean, you know, it talks about like the path of the righteous. He orients my steps. And it's really kind of what are the values and principles that are going to orient the direction you go in as a company. Okay. Value and direction. Yes. Is a vector. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, uh, so the five orientations of wisdom, you say, are quality, stakeholders, supply chain, sustainability, and long-term view, a long-term perspective. Um, we can talk a little bit about all of those. Um, and I just want to just go through some of these. We're not going to go through your book, so right. people don't need to buy it. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, let me just take a step back. Seven leadership, orientation, and then the orientation lead to, you have to complete my sentence. Yes, the orientations then, um, you know, all of these orientations, actually every single one of them has been tested in business research. And as overarching philosophies and, and cultural, you know, orientations, they, they, you know, business research has demonstrated that they lead to profitability. Like that's established. All five of these orientations are gonna boost profitability. Done, yeah. research is done. Um, but they also, we know that the stakeholder orientation and sustainability orientation also are really closely correlated with reputation and the reputation, the brand image of the company. So that's really important because we know that um, relationship, knowledge, reputation, that these are all resources that differentiate companies today. And you know a lot about this FT in the space that you're in, um, but having differentiated resources is what gives companies a comparative advantage. And I think the comparative advantage is really the, the not quite the penultimate outcome of like kingdom impact and loving God and loving others, but is like the, the second tier penultimate outcome, the comparative advantage. Because we know that as Christians, we're all uniquely gifted. And I think in the marketplace, the competitive space that says somebody has to win and somebody has to lose actually robs industries of having multiple companies that are competing based on differentiated advantages that they bring to the marketplace. Like we want options as consumers. And I do think that just like God gives us as individuals, he gives leaders of companies to have unique differentiated ideas and strategies and products that they get to bring to the marketplace that really make life better for consumers. And yeah. so I think this comparative advantage is a really important space to kind of get to. Yeah. So you, you do say that the orientations lead to outcomes and the mm -hmm. outcomes are your brand, your reputation, which I'd say brand, uh, profits, of course, uh, comparative advantage, differentiation, and then long-term impact. Uh, for me, I feel like, and you do, this whole chapter, we're going to talk through the whole book and then nobody will buy it. Uh, <laughs> no, they'll have to dig in deeper, right? They need the case examples. <laughs> yeah. And you do say profit is not, it's, it's, it's a profit is a marker. It's kind yeah. of like milestone, right? But should not be the end result. And, uh, and in, in, in my investing in companies, uh, actually <clears throat> building a brand and differentiation is how you can create 
equity value or enterprise value, even though it may not make money. So for yeah. a decade or more, actually a long time, Amazon did not make money and grew mm -hmm. and grew and grew and grew. Uh, the reputation and the brand and the value was providing to the customer was just increasing. It's still increasing. <clears throat> and the value of the company grew with no profits. <laughs> it lost right. money for, for year after year. Uh, but it was building brand. So I do uh, view, uh, you put outcome, profitability is one of four outcomes. And I agree. It is important. It's a milestone. So at some point, you have to make money. But it is not the ultimate outcome. Um, but I want to go back. So I'm going to take a step back. So after yeah. the outcome is, the final outcome is how we advance the kingdom. You know, you say kingdom, kingdom impact. Mm -hmm. We want to get there, but let's get back to uh, the beginning. Servant leadership. Mm -hmm. uh, it's everywhere now. Uh, it really is biblical Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And I'm so happy to come to page 46, 47. And its title is Jesus Example of Servant Leadership. Mm -hmm. I'm so happy. I was looking for that. I'm like, okay, I'm not going like to like this book if she doesn't bring this up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad it's there. <laughs> and you, uh, you uh, illustrated with Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Uh, you know, so you know, I, I've set you an example. Uh, he says, um, and then a couple of pages on page fifty, you talk about the concept of love, love, uh, compassion, and love, which I guess is agape, right? Yeah. Um, and you talk about it. Those were the two things I was looking for in your book. I was like, I'm not going to like this book if she doesn't. The concept of agape or, or love and uh, Jesus didn't come in. So let's talk about servant leadership. Yeah. Um, we are re retaking that word uh, or giving Jesus the credit for that word. Uh, how does that translate into business life leadership? Mm -hmm. We're not always leaders, right? We there's also a part of servant followership, not leadership. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How are you a good servant and a yeah. good leader? Yeah. And a servant leader, right? Um, and you know, this is a this is a really interesting one, FT, because I actually get the most pushback on servant leadership in Christian circles. Always. Whether it's students, whether it's presenting it, you know, like through the Wheaton Center for Faith and Innovation at like a workshop. Um, people always question this and say, well, in theory, but in business, you need to be, it's dog eat dog and you need to be competitive and you need to be authoritarian. And it's so interesting to me because it is so much more accepted in the secular yeah. spaces I go into. And when you look at servant leadership and, you know, the, the eight components that it's now, you know, from the original Greenleaf to like how Spears took over like the Greenleaf Center, the Servant Leadership Institute, and they have like these eight concepts of servant leadership. And, you know, these have been tested in management literature for, you know, management research for about 50 years now. And I'm just starting to see it come out in the logistics research as well. And I love the logistics research because um, some friends of mine uh, at, you know, Iowa State and a couple of, you know, Air Force, actually at AFID, um, they did a study and they did it at the, the front line, like fleet level of a trucking companies and actually demonstrated that when the, the route managers were empathetic and listened and helped to build, you know, their truck driver skills and experience that the truck drivers not only um, were better, were more committed to the company, but they were more productive. 
they were better on their routes. They were, you know, more efficient and it actually created like, you know, bottom line savings as well as top line. And so when I look at servant leadership on all business research, FT, all of it, there's one outcome variable for the last hundred years and it's always profit. It is so hard to publish anything in business research if you aren't measuring some kind of ROI, inventory turnover, profit margin, something in that space. It's almost impossible to get it published. And so we're just now starting to push and say there's got to be other outcomes that are viable to be looking at for how good a business is um, and whether or not you should invest in it. Obviously, you want to make money, but we want to do more than make money. We want businesses to also bring good products to the market in all the different ways. So servant leadership, you have to start with leadership because no orientation is ever going to happen unless the senior leadership of a company is directing the organization in that direction. Right. So leadership is fundamental. Nothing gets done unless leaders say we need to do this. So any of the orientations go away if a leader doesn't buy in and care. Yeah. But um, so Christ did it himself in the yeah. He died for us. Uh, so he went to the front line and took the first bullet. Um, and um, I think that there are, and I, it, it, I was thinking through this, there's no other form of leadership is true leadership. Uh, so think about that a little bit, because there are other forms of leadership that may seem like it's not uh, Serving leadership, even in the military, right? You were in the military. And I love Eisenhower as an example. Very humble, self effacing, not promoting himself, but ability to get things done. Definitely. Uh, this picture of him <clears throat> standing with the pilots who were going off on bombing, you know, American kids who were going off on bombing missions, many of whom would not come back on every yeah. single yeah. range, right? Yeah. Uh, and go out and talk to these kids in the field. Um, that's servant leadership, right? He's, mm -hmm. he's uh, um, being humble and being, putting himself in a place where he's uh, with the people actually going to the front line. I don't think he could fly a plane himself. Um, so even in the military, I think there is, even though it's very hierarchical and all that, there is servant leadership in that, you know, you wanted to know, I don't know, what did you want to know from your leaders when you were out in the field? Yeah. Well, you definitely want to know that your leaders are listening. Um, you know, when you get missions in the field as a soldier, um, you know, there's, there's maybe there's resource constraints to accomplishing that mission that they need to know about so you can actually get it done. And, um, you know, also if you're leading other soldiers, you know, I was squad leader, um, platoon leader, you know, early on at, at different points in time, you also want somebody that's going to be able to hear the needs of the, the soldiers that you're working to serve. Um, yeah. And so listening is huge. Also, um, knowing that your leaders care about you as you accomplish that mission, especially when you're in um, dangerous spaces, is really important. Because um, soldiers will blindly go into danger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and knowing that their leadership really cares and values their humanity is important as well. Yeah. And by the way, on uh, and to anyone listening, it applies to not just business, but uh, people who coach sports teams, coaches, you know, teachers, uh, being able to make a sacrifice, not for, you know, maybe you lose a game, but uphold a moral principle of some sort, you know, uh, that kind of, I, I, if, whenever I try to, whenever I remember, I try to tell my people, either new people or people during the annual reviews, 
that I'm here to make you help you succeed. Yeah. So I'm here to, you know, you, that's my job, help you succeed. Uh, and uh, I also tell my group that we, we manage capital, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we want to make capital serve people. So, mm -hmm. so taking the capital instead of just making money, but to serve people, which includes our investors, we have a lot of pension plans. Yeah. Uh, serve the people who work in our portfolio companies, serve ourselves, our yeah. team, serve the suppliers, uh, a community where we sell products to or make products. So like make capital serve people, mm -hmm. uh, which does not, that's the servant leadership part. The company itself could be, have a servant leadership yeah. orientation, right? Yeah. Uh, let's make capital serve people. So anyway, the sort of starting point is really is, is Jesus, grace, gospel, the cross. Yeah. And loving people. Yeah. Loving people. Yeah. Well, the, the, so the second nuance of that is loving people. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you bring that up in your book. Uh, it's starting to uh, appear in other mm -hmm. business books. I'm a big reader of business books. Um, <laughs> There's a bestseller, uh, The Trillion Dollar Coach, is about Bill Campbell. Bill, oh, yeah. mm -hmm. Bill was the coach for people at Google and uh, actually a lot of the companies on, on Silicon Valley. And The Trillion Dollar Coach talks about this guy, Bill Campbell. He, and he, he, he was a coach. He, he worked for one of the venture capital companies. But he would tell people in meetings and board meetings, I love you, <laughs> and give you hugs. Uh, and he was one of the few people who would outwardly say, I love you, you're great. Yeah. You know, and yeah. he would go and hug people. Uh, probably not allowed to do that nowadays. But um, <laughs> but that's the second thing that you bring up, which is a yeah one of the keys. Maybe it's a result of having this servant leadership mentality is, is being able to let love show, that love people, yeah. you know, because at the end of it, it's all people. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. um, okay, servant leadership, we won't exhaust that topic. It is, uh, but we want to take it back for Christ. It came yeah, out of for sure. mm -hmm. um, Servant leader. <laughs> yeah. So there are a lot of other things here, the orientations, which is um, uh, long-term stakeholder quality, making sure you have good quality, supply chain orientation. I thought there was a little bit of bias on your part because- <laughs> <laughs> I almost didn't include it. And I, I, I flushed this book out with so many different audiences and yeah. I had so many people say, why aren't you talking about supply chains? There's clearly a supply chain in this passage, but I'm yeah. definitely biased. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm a process engineer. So if I had written that chapter, I would have said process orientation, but anyway. Yeah, yeah, fine. Um, <laughs> sustainability orientation. I want to talk a little bit about that. I, you know, uh, in, it's in this beginning of the Bible, Genesis, we are yeah. stewards of nature, right? Mm -hmm. uh, God put Adam, in Adam and Eve in charge of this part of creation. It was the first uh, job humanity ever had. Yeah, look after yeah. all these things, uh, grow food, eat it. And somehow Christians lost that part of the narrative and surrendered it. So mm -hmm. thank you. 
for starting to reclaim it. Uh, let's talk about it. Let's talk about sustainability. So I have this book. I make everybody read it. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Patagonia. Mm -hmm. uh, they really have lived the values of stewardship. Uh, Patagonia uh, in terms of looking after the earth, right? Mm -hmm. Here, uh, we're supposed to, to, to plant, to sow, to look after the animals, name them. Uh, somehow, Christians did not forget about it, but put it in the second place, third place, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, think, I think it became political in the U.S. anyway. And I but think that other people, we seem to be anti-environment almost. Yeah, yeah. But I think also this is why it all has to start with servant leadership and the stakeholder space, because servant leader says, I now care about others more than myself. The stakeholder says, you know, the others, right, that I'm serving are all these different stakeholders of my company. And if you really love people, you want them to have access to resources. You're not going to just use them all up for yourself. And this is like the long-term piece, like it's so important as well, because if you don't care about the next generation, then you're not going to utilize resources well. So if you yeah. don't love people, forget all the rest. Yeah. We can't be like Jesus. Yeah. But if we do love people and we do want to care for what God's given us until Jesus comes back, um, then we do have a responsibility to make sure that they have resources and, you know, all the different capitals, you know, natural capital and yeah. all it, they, they need all these capitals available yeah. to them. Stewardship of uh, the earth is a responsibility that Christian Christian business leaders, but all everyone, uh, it's just that somehow we kind of abdicated that role. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, thanks for bringing it back. Uh, yeah. Everybody believes in it. I mean, everybody believes in it now. Uh, we should have led the charge <laughs> when yeah. we are following. Better than better to follow than not to be part of it. Um, and then I'm just, uh, so I, I'm aware of time as well. Uh, I want to skip, right? So you do all these things, uh, profit of course comes in and then, but at the end you say it's all for kingdom impact. Mm -hmm. Uh, explain that to me. Yeah. I think that as servant leaders with all of these different strategies that we see, wisdom outworking in her small entrepreneurial textile company in Proverbs 31, um, the, the impact of this work, you know, when Jesus commissions the disciples right before he goes, you know, onto glory in the, in the clouds and acts, he tells them to go into all the nations and make disciples. And we think about discipleship so much in like a church space, like we're going to disciple people, but we only spend two hours of a week in church on a Sunday morning. And maybe if you're like, you're a really good Christian, like FT, you probably like go to lots of prayer meetings and like, you know, midweek Bible studies and all of these things. So maybe you max out at 10 minutes, 10 hours a week. If you're a really, really faithful Christian, really committed <laughs> um, that you spend in like spiritual spaces. On the other hand, we spend 40 to, I don't know, how much do we work FT? 60 hours a week, 70 hours, some weeks that we spend working with coworkers and employees and direct reports. And if you're gonna be in a space that you can truly disciple people, this is where we're gonna do it. We're probably not gonna do it, you know, just through a, a church program, but we have this opportunity to go into the marketplace, you know, where God's called us, God's called other people into other spheres where they will make disciples, you know, pastors will make disciples in churches for sure. 
But the majority of the church, 90% of the church is going to go to work somewhere on Monday. Isn't it amazing if we get this concept of discipleship and shaping culture and, you know, really loving people well as something that we're working out in, you know, the other 98% of our lives that aren't a Sunday morning worship service. So I think it's really where a huge opportunity for discipleship and to take the kingdom, you know, as Jesus talks about taking his kingdom, which is righteousness, peace, and joy. We need a lot of that, especially over the last year with COVID in the workplace, right? We need righteousness. We need peace and joy for sure. Um, And this is the huge missed opportunity, I think, in, in the church today. Yeah, and I think we, um, to some extent, uh, we come out as against this, against that, resisting this, resist, as opposed to uh, perhaps leading the charge in uh, social change, in justice, in uh, being uh, good stewards of the earth, uh, you know, in sustainability. we should be leading. We should. We should be leading this because we have an objective, gospel-based reason for doing this. Uh, and the other side, the danger of the other side is too much works orientation, right? Or, yeah. or a feeling of theocracy. We want this is God's, <laughs> kind of, you know, rule, uh, which is we're nowhere near that. Yeah. Uh, but just to be aware of that, but. Um, yeah, for me, I you know yes, uh, you know the the, uh, in the in the New Testament it says the kingdom of God is at hand. What does that mean? You know, and what do we do about it? Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is one thing which I've never really thought about it this way. You know, the kingdom of God uh, on earth. Um, it does not mean a theocracy. Right. No, <laughs> uh, it doesn't. It does mean. God's love flowing through Christians into the workplace uh, in positive ways and taking up the responsibilities we have been given. Discipleship, uh, looking after the earth, uh, mercy and justice, all of those things. And so, um, thank you. I, I, you know, we have not, uh, for people who are listening, uh, it's a lot more in here that we talked about. It is a uh, congratulations. It's a comprehensive, it's really comprehensive look at business ideas over the past 30 years, 50 years, mm-hmm. uh, with real world, world examples from people and uh, how these ideas all fit into Proverbs 31. And so uh, we're not taking what's out there and mushing it back, but showing how it really has been in the Bible for thousands of years and uh, applying it and bringing it forward. Uh, So congratulations. Uh, I look forward to seeing your sales numbers now. (laughs) (laughs) Beyond sales numbers, right? Because it's something that uh, I think this will be, you can use it as a foundational kind of um, academic text almost. Just starting point from there, you can you can take many different directions from there. So, thank you. Uh, yeah. Anything more you want to say about the book? Yeah, I know, and that's that's actually you know my my heart goal. I, I wanted to write a book that students could be used used in the classrooms, but that students would want to give their parents for Christmas. 
And that was the goal that this could also be used by entrepreneurs as a way to think through their their strategies and their, you know, the purpose of their business. And, you know, hopefully even in investment spaces where, you know, if you have a client and you're like, man, have you thought about approaching it this way, that it could be a tool in those kinds of spaces. And, you know, I've, I've been in a lot of faith in work rooms, uh, conferences and events where lots of theologians in the room, a couple CEOs. And there's always this question of like, I just wish we had more data. I wish we had more evidence that these things work. And as you know, the business faculty member, I'm always like, but there is, there's so right. much data. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I must say the uh, bibliography and the, <laughs> the, uh, the, the exegetical sources bibliography is exhaustive. I don't know how you managed to read so many books, but uh, yeah, there's a lot there. Um, but it's common sense. If anyone reading it would, yeah, you can like ask for proof, but you can also understand it. It's common sense if you if you prioritize people uh, instead of using people, uh, you will have the results. Uh, and um, and people are beginning to to actually. And they, even in a non-religious context, come up with this idea of uh, Simon Sinek in his book, uh, The Infinite Game, right? What's your just cause, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so looking for something that has kind of an eternal value that cannot be achieved is not like hitting a profit goal, but eternal value. But in your just cause here is the kingdom impact at the end. And that is eternal. That is uh sanctioned by god mm -hmm. blessed so uh it's worthwhile so thank you yeah F ft this was thank you for having this conversation with me today i know it's our podcast and <laughs> we chose to have this conversation but yeah. um obviously this has been something i've worked on you know for almost 10 years now um that's probably why it's so exhaustive slash exhausting sometimes no i'm just kidding yeah. um, but it's it's really close to my heart that i i think it's important that as christians we um aren't just saved from this world but we're saved for life in this world that's one of my favorite and you know tom wright says this a lot yeah. um yeah. But this is a amazing kingdom that we're called to and it's, yeah. it's a beautiful thing great thanks uh you're leaving a brick in the wall <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> in, yeah. in the in the palace wall of the kingdom yeah i hope uh, so congrats congratulations Thank you. so for all of our listeners i would love to encourage you to join us again next month as we put up our next um podcast this is integrate faith and innovate um a video podcast you can listen to it as well from the wheaton center for faith and innovation you can follow us on youtube on the cfi YouTube channel or come to our website at wheaton.edu slash CFI. And we hope to come up with practical tips for faithful decision making in everyday business as FT and I have conversations with faithful business leaders who are living this out every day in their jobs. Thank you so much for joining us. Hope to see you again next month. Thank you. You want to uh, say just a, a brief prayer before we go? Yeah, let's close with a brief prayer before yeah. we go. Thanks, FT. Yeah, thank you, Lord, for this time. And um, uh, you give us um, some gifts and abilities and opportunities to do things uh, uh, in your kingdom, for your kingdom. And we don't always do it uh, well, uh, but we do it with your inspiration and knowing that you are merciful, you are gracious, you are patient, 
uh, we, I thank you for this book, Lord. It, it will, I, I, I pray your blessings on the book and how it's used and where it goes. And um, if it can be a, a, a little brick in building your kingdom, um, use it, Lord. Uh, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.